garden, and also just as an aside, let's, let's be honest, I am merely an assistant to my wife when it comes to the garden. Those of you who know us can probably assume that, but I still love it nonetheless. Uh, you know how enjoyable this is, and there's something that's sort of within you at, the, at this sort of primal inner level that just absolutely loves uh, to get your hands dirty. It's just so satisfying, right, to roll up your sleeves, to, to dig holes in the dirt, to pour over water, to, to place, well, first you place the seeds in, then you pour the water. I do know that. Uh, and then you see the green starting to come from the ground. And that's just the beginning of it. That's just the beginning of the fun. The real fun is in the harvesting. And that's when we'll hand these huge popcorn bowls to our daughters and say, okay, go bring us some tomatoes. And they go out for a really, really long time. And they come back and their, their mouths are all gross because they've been shoveling some in. And then they've got these bowls that are just piled high with tomatoes. Uh, it's a lot of fun. And then also along our sidewalk, usually you'll see uh, dropped and squashed uh, tomatoes all over the place. Uh, it's just a ton of fun. And there's this piece of me, and I, and I think you would all would resonate with this, where we just think to ourselves, I was just made for this. Like, this is just so much fun. I could do this forever and ever, right? Well, in the first few pages of the Bible, we hear this story of how God created absolutely everything. And then he placed humanity over all of creation. And just as a king of an ancient world would have placed his image in a new city, so God places the image of Adam and Eve in the temple, in his garden there, to steward the garden. He puts them to work. He says, tend the garden, right? And this is more than just an agricultural kind of vocation. No, Adam and Eve are called to guard the land, to protect it, to explore it, to subdue it, to cultivate it. In other words, they were invited to be co-creators and co-laborers underneath the great creator God. They were meant to bring order to the chaos. They were called to be ardor, artists and scientists, adventurers and explorers. But sadly, though, before the story can even really get off the ground, all things kind of fall apart, right? They fall, they sin against God, they disobey his commands. And humanity, therefore, has to be kicked out of that holy space. They get kicked out of the garden. And instead, God brings angels to guard the land, to guard it. And they carry these swords, right, to push, uh, to make sure that humanity doesn't get inside. Humanity is barred from the original purpose. So what would it have been like if Adam and Eve had not have fallen? What would have been the fruit of that ancient garden? What sort of civilization would have sprouted up? Now, tragically, we don't know the answer to those questions. We can only speculate and dream about those things. You can read C.S. Lewis novels that kind of entertain a lot of these thoughts, right? But I think this, this text that we have today, this gospel text that we have, is very sadly, it's a parable, the parable of the wicked tenants. It's quite sadly a fine recounting of all of the history, of, of human history, of how things actually turned out. We hear the master's intent for the land, the master's intent for humanity, but then we see in just a few verses how it actually panned out. And friends, this is a hard passage. This is a difficult passage. When I saw that this was in the lectionary for this week, I was like, oh, can we swap it out for something else? But that wouldn't, that wouldn't be right. That's not what I'm called to do. Like, I need to be opening this passage to you this week. Uh, this is what the Lord has brought to us this morning. And it's hard. This is a story of bad stewardship. 
This is a story of wicked tenants and God's judgment. This isn't something that you read before bedtime to feel all warm and cozy at night, right? This is a hard, hard passage. So just to provide a little bit of context here, Jesus is approaching his death. He is just days and days away from being betrayed. He's already cursed the temple. He's cleansed it. He's been saying really hard things and getting in the face of the religious leaders of the day, the scribes and the chief priests. And like I said, it's just days away from Judas betraying him, being handed over to the authorities. And this is when he shares the parable. Are you going to sing the parable for us? No? <laughs> I'm sorry, David. <laughs> this is a hard text, and so David decided to bring some, some joy and, and levity to the situation. <laughs> Sorry, I didn't mean to embarrass you that bad. Yeah, okay, cool. <laughs> so like I said, this is, this is a hard parable. It's a difficult parable uh, set within this difficult season leading up to Jesus' death. And like I said, it's a sad and difficult text for us all to hear. Now you can read through this and pretty much glean a plain meaning from it kind of quickly. Uh, it's not terribly difficult to understand. In fact, the, the scribes and the chief priests, they get it pretty quickly themselves. You can gather that the master of the vineyard, well, that's God. The tenants, well, those would be the religious leaders of Israel, perhaps even Israel its, itself. And God has placed those leaders in the vineyard to tend and steward it, much in the same way that Adam and Eve were, pl- were um, put in the garden. And as for the fruit itself, I think we could spend all day talking about the beauty and the goodness of that fruit. But I think it's really well summarized by the prophet Micah. The fruit of the vineyard is to do justice, to love mercy, to walk humbly with your God. That's the fruit that God wants to see coming from his creation. And the master is eager and delighted to experience that fruit. He wants a taste of it. He wants to see it. And so he sends his servants. He sends these messengers to the vineyard. And those are the prophets. But the tenants, they wickedly decide to, to, to stiff-arm those prophets, prophets, right? They decide to keep the fruit for themselves. And God sends more prophets and more prophets to plead with the leaders, to beg with them, participate in this, give us your fruit. But they also are beaten and run off. And so finally, the master of the vineyard sends his own beloved son. Obviously, this is Jesus, the Christ, the Messiah. And Jesus is using the same phrase to refer to the son that's already been spoken over him two times now in Luke's gospel. The beloved son, that's what we heard the father say over him at his baptism. That's what we heard said over him at the transfiguration. This is the beloved son. But tragically, he is also killed, taken outside of the vineyard and slain. So rather than bearing the fruit of justice and mercy, This now vineyard is a place of hoarding, a place of violence. There is no mercy to be found anymore in this vineyard. The fruit is all spoiled. Now, I don't know about you, but when I read this passage, I'm tempted to think, well, this this isn't for me. You know, I live 2,000 years later. Uh, I'm a Christian. I'm saved by grace. Uh, This isn't isn't for me. You know, those are just for those, those evil Jewish leaders, you know, all the way back then. And in fact, a lot of church history, that's, that's the angle they take on this passage. This has been a passage that's been used in very strong anti-Semitic sort of ways to oppress the Jews. And we as Christians need to grapple with that and come to terms with that. But friends, we are in error if we think 
that this passage has zero application to us today. Because friends, God has entrusted to us his vineyard. And he has given all of us a role to play in his vineyard. This is a text that is very much alive and pertinent back then as it is today. So our role in the vineyard is our very lives. That is what our, our plot of land or, or a vineyard or whatever you want to call it, like that's our role to play. That's, that's our job in the vineyard is our very lives, our very liveliness. It's the time, it's the treasure, it's the talents that God has given to us. And you might be sitting here this morning and thinking that, well, God hasn't given you a, a very big plot of land in, in his vineyard. You might not think it's very, very large or recognizable, but nonetheless, God has given you a job. As long as there is breath in your lungs, there is a role that you have to play in his kingdom. And that might be a role that's large and noticeable and, and other people might see it and be impressed by the fruit that you bring. Maybe it's your influence that you have in the corporate world. Maybe it's a role that involves the, the children that God has given you. You know, and you get to, to raise them up as, as fruit for the Lord. Maybe it's the wide friend networks that you have. But also God might be calling you to a very quiet vocation in his vineyard. There are other aspects of serving in his vineyard that are relatively unknown and contemplative and quiet. God might be calling you to a profound sense and ministry of prayer and fasting and just falling more in love with him in the quiet places, and he is delighted with that fruit. So every person here is a worker in God's vineyard. And so the question that we have to ask ourselves as we read difficult passages like this is who's calling the shots? Who's in control of your role? Who's in control of that corner of God's vineyard that he has given you? And rather than us looking at this parable and simply being about Jewish scribes 2,000 years ago, it's actually really applicable to right now, today. Are you working under God's authority? When he asks you for fruit, do you obey? Or are you acting to your own authority? Are you only listening to yourself? Are you the one who's running the show? So I want to point out three warnings that I see in this passage for us. Like I said, this isn't necessarily a, a warm and fuzzy kind of message. This is, this is a quintessential Lenten message, right? Um, but there's these three red flashing lights that I think that God has for us. that calls us to stop and to pause and take inventory of our behavior, our motivations, and our attitudes and see how we are tending to God's vineyard. So the first warning light. You know, we read this passage and, and we, we see these tenants they're in the master's vineyard. We see them enjoying the master's house, enjoying the master's harvest, enjoying the master's wine, enjoying all the good things that there are in this awesome vineyard that God has entrusted to them. And at some point in their thinking, at some point, they decide that this stuff is theirs. This is actually ours, is what they say. In fact, the first warning is this. It is a sign, or it is, it is a, a warning against the spirit of entitlement. And I think, friends, as Americans, this is one that's really hard for us to wrestle with because we, quite honestly, are an entitled people. You know, every, we look at our resume and every line of our resume represents years of studying or maybe even more years of hard work and practically even decades of proving yourself. And so when God begins to eyeball your paycheck, or when God starts to look at your me time or your vacation time or whatever it is that you treasure and think about, if God starts to put his attention on that, our first reaction is, whoa, whoa, whoa. 
I earn that. Don't take that from me, God. I'll give you a little bit, but don't you even talk about this over here. That is mine. Stay back. Well, the Bible says that everything that you have is God's. Every good gift comes from the Father above. And we, friends, are just merely tenants in his vineyard. In his vineyard. So this parable warns us against feeling entitled to his vineyard. Now, the second warning has to do with a missed opportunity. Now, how would you have reacted, or how do you think the master would have reacted if they had actually brought fruit to him? What would have happened? How would he have, how would he have seen that if the servants actually brought back some carts to wherever, wherever he is, and he was able to experience that fruit? It's an interesting thing to think about, but it's actually not a huge mystery, <laughs> because this, this is actually a question that we see answered quite a bit throughout Luke's gospel. And the answer is this. The master would have been delighted. He would have loved it. He wanted to experience some of that fruit. It's what he yearns for. He's the one who planted the vineyard in the first place. This is what he wants to see. In fact, if we were to flip our page back uh, to another chapter in the Bible, we would have seen another parable with another master in it. And that master, the, the servants in that parable, some of them do a great job. And so what the master says to them is, well done, good servant. Because you've been faithful of very little, get this, I will give you the authority of over 10 cities. Or perhaps the master himself, after experiencing that fruit, he would have gone to the vineyard himself to celebrate. He would have said, this is amazing. He would have brought a fattened calf with him. He would have brought the best wine with him. There would have been a huge feast that was taking place. See, and we don't need to speculate this because we hear this happening over and over again throughout Jesus' parables and the way in which he interacted with folks throughout the Gospel of Luke and the rest of the Gospels as well. And so that's why when we turn our attention to this parable, it's absolutely heartbreaking because that's not what the tenants are experiencing. We read this parable and we think, wow, these tenants are totally missing out on the good delight and pleasure of the Father in heaven. They're missing out. This sin, their entitlement that they've had has just messed with their brains. They've, they've turned to be completely delusional. They're not even understanding the character of the master anymore. So the second warning, friends, is don't miss out on the master's love. Don't miss out on his feast that he has for you. Don't miss out for the celebration that he has for you. These tenants, their imaginations are so warped. Rather than a holy imagination of, of creativity and celebration, their imaginations are wholly satanic. They're truly evil. They're truly demonic. Instead of dreaming of a feast, they're dreaming of murdering the master's son. You can almost hear that ancient serpent slithering throughout this vineyard, can't you? Protect what's yours. Don't share this. It's yours. Don't share it. Protect this at all costs. Friends, don't block out the master. The master's heart is to feast with you. And don't miss out on that. So the third warning is this, and perhaps it's honestly one of the scariest ones. But the third warning is this. Your fruit matters. The fruit of your work actually matters to God. He cares about it. And we have a hard time with this, especially as Protestants, right? Uh, reformed uh, people of the Reformation, we hear this and we're like, oh, your fruit matters? Like, is that works righteousness? What is that? You know, we love to talk about grace. But sometimes I think we fool ourselves into thinking that grace somehow excuses us from talking about fruit bearing. 
You know, last week I preached about the prodigal son, and, and when I saw that passage, I was like, sweet. I love this. This is so cool. This is a great passage. And then I, and then I read the, the uh, Joshua passage, and I was like, whoa, this totally merges with this. This is about coming home and grace and parties, like awesome. And then I saw this passage, and I'm like, wow, this is a mood change. Like, this is whiplash. This is difficult. You know, my temptation, again, like I said earlier, when I come to passages like this, is to, to skip over it, to ignore it, because this is a hard reading. We see God destroying the wicked tenants, and then he's giving his vineyard to others because fruit matters to him. He cares about the fruit that's coming from your life and from mine. So this is a chilling thought, and it's one that should cause all of us to pause, friends. And it should call us to examine ourselves in prayer. So, like I was saying earlier, each one of us are called to a different role in God's vineyard. The fruit that you grow is going to be different than the fruit that you grow over here, and vice versa. Like I was saying, for some of you, it's going to be very noticeable fruit. For someone, it's going to, for others, it might be very quiet fruit. So I would invite you to spend time today, maybe it's after communion with the prayer ministers, maybe it's on your drive home, maybe it's sometime this week when you have a quiet time to get with the Lord, but bring to him to prayer, Lord, what sort of fruit do you want to see from my life? What sort of fruit do you want to see from my life, Lord? He wants to hear that question. He wants to talk about that with you. That is something that gets him excited. It gets him thinking about what his original intent was in the garden oh so long ago. He's like, yes, this is my people. This is how I want them to be talking. Yeah, let's talk about bringing justice and mercy and love and hope to a world that's around us, right? That's what God wants to do. So is there good news in this passage? Is there grace in this passage? Is there some hope in this passage without going to other passages? I think there is. I think there is something here that's for us. The good news is that the fruit will grow. That's not dependent upon us. The fruit is coming. The fruit is growing. The question is whether or not you're going to be a part of it. Do you want to be a part of that, right? There's going to be fruit, like I've been saying, of justice and mercy and healing and hope. And we know this because this is the entire story of Luke's gospel. Jesus came to proclaim good news to the poor, to liberate the oppressed, to set the prisoners free. This is the great reversal that theologians love to talk about when they're talking about the gospel of Luke. God comes to bring blessing to those who have nothing. He's coming to bring forth his fruit. And the other bit of good news is that you're not alone. This isn't something that you have to do alone by yourself. No, that's what the church is for. This is something, brothers and sisters, that we get to do with one another. We get to co-labor with one another in God's vineyard. We get to lean on one another when we're tired and exhausted, right? And already, I'm, you know, this is a church plant. We do a lot of that leaning on one another, right? We get to lean on one another when we're tired. We get to celebrate one another's harvests. This isn't a competition. It's all the same vineyard. We all get to celebrate one another. And we get to seek the Holy Spirit with one another. Because ultimately, we're not laboring of our own strength. No, it is Christ within us. It is the Spirit of the Son himself who is in us, who is moving in us and through us and among us to bring forth the fruit. So yes, this is a difficult passage, friends. 
I pray, Lord, I pray this morning that we would heed the Lord's warnings this morning. They would hear that warning against a spirit of entitlement, a spirit of hoarding. They would hear that warning of missing out on the feast that God has for us. And that we would hear that charge to bear fruit in our lives for the Lord's glory. So with that in mind, let us pray. Lord Jesus Christ, I know that there are many here this morning, sitting in this room right now, who feel like they have no place in your vineyard. They've been wounded or burnt out or tired, and they hear this text and they think, are you taking us away from me? But that desire, just even asking that question, is proof that they want to serve you, Lord. So I pray that you would fan up the, fa the faith that you are implanting in our hearts today. Lord, when we hear parables like this, it's hard. And I pray that in the midst of these warnings, we would see you as the good master who is bringing forth the fruit of your kingdom. And that we may be a part of that. Use this church, O oh Lord. Use restoration. Send the cool waters of your Holy Spirit upon us that we might bring forth your fruit of justice and hope and of love. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.